0: Hello and welcome to Beyond the Now. This is a podcast where we dial in on the challenges businesses and consumers face to secure the internet of things. My name is David, and I'm director of Secure Devices Ecosystem at ARM and a founder of PSA Certified. In this podcast, we'll be joined by experts from across the tech sector, all with a shared vision of securing IoT and building a connected society. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Mike Dow, who's Senior Product Manager for IoT Security at Silicon Labs. Mike, welcome. It's great to have you. Thanks, David.
1: Great to be here.
0: So I think to kick off, it'd be really great if you could tell us a bit about yourself and what you do over at Silicon Labs.
1: Okay. I've spent the last 11 years in various marketing roles in the semiconductor industry. I'm a long-time Motorola, Freescale, NXP for 20-plus years. Basically, I did a lot of business development in industrial wireless, smart energy, smart cities, IoT before it was cool, and point of Cell, which is basically where I cut my teeth on security. Before that, I was basically uh, had another lifetime of being a professional controls engineer. So I worked for Emerson, did some programming control systems, and then that's where I got into Motorola, where I was actually a plant engineer with control systems and fire alarm systems and gas detection systems, and basically anything with the wire running to it was my responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's a huge <laughs> breadth of experience that you're yeah. into. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It's, I like the way you say it's IoT before it was cool. Yeah, sort of thinking back, yeah. to the machine-to-machine journey that we've been on for decades, I guess. Um,
1: yeah, and if you think about yeah. controls. Controls engineering, right? That was IoT before IoT was IoT, right?
0: Mm, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And so for listeners that perhaps are less familiar, maybe a few words about Silicon Labs as well? Yeah. So um, just joined Silicon Labs a little over a year ago. It's a great IoT company focused on subnets. So we're very focused on things underneath the big iron in the, the Internet of things, Um, So it's basically Zigbee, Z-Wave, Wi-Fi now. We just purchased a company called Red Pine in 2020. So we're in the low-power Wi-Fi business as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also do proprietary protocols, sub-gig, 2.4-gig radios, that sort of thing. And we have a, a long legacy of analog devices. We're in almost every Samsung TV with some analog tuners and such. Okay. And so one of the things we've spoken about on previous
0: podcasts is this vision to huge connectivity, what we see ahead of us in terms of the sheer number of devices that are going to connect through enabling digital transformation. I think we'll come on and talk about some of the markets a little bit later on, but it sounds like Silicon Labs brings that together in the products that you have the ability to connect
1: yeah, certainly if you think about, we're very focused on low energy devices, right? So a lot of sensors, right? So when you talk about mm. IoT and connecting sensors, which is what it's all about, right? Uh, connecting to the real world through sensor monitoring, that sort of thing. That's really where our focus is. Mm.
0: That makes sense. And I guess from a, a silicon, so it's, it's very cool to have a silicon provider joining the podcast. So thank you for that. And a great opportunity, actually, to sort of get some insights from your point of view on security for the Internet of Things. And I guess the starting point is, why do you care? You know, are are your customers asking you for security? Is that something that, you know, you're getting the pull for?
1: Yeah, the great news is, is that there is pull now. Like I said, I cut my teeth in point of sale, but before that I was Mm. actually doing smart, smart energy, which was metering customers. And even in that space where you would think, okay, you know, there was... Five, six, seven years ago, there was still discussion about infrastructure and metering was one of the targets of nefarious states, that sort of thing. But even then, my customers were basically saying, well, I'm not going to put security in unless my customers demand it. Hmm. But now you're starting to see a pull. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. One is certainly in the medical space, the FDA is ahead of where the regulations are starting to come they've been concerned about security, and now that you have more connected devices like uh, insulin pumps that you know actually might be injecting insulin on a continuous basis, they're starting to be more specific about what we would call connected devices. Mm-hmm. Um, the regulations are also pushing it, uh, so there are a lot of companies who are aware of the regulations, medical for sure, but I think the consumer market basically you 've got Google, Amazon, and Apple. Trying to create these ecosystems in the home, and they're really concerned about, you know, they want to open that up to as many device manufacturers as they can, right? Because the more devices that connect to the ecosystem, the bigger ecosystem gets. Hmm. But the problem is, is how do you trust the device that gets attached to your ecosystem? One bad actor One bad apple could basically spoil everything because essentially if you allow devices on your network and they compromise your network and now you're either getting sued in California because you violated the privacy acts there or in in the Europe. Mm. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a big problem of your reputation, your brand for that ecosystem could easily destroy the brand. Yeah, Mm. I'm starting to see a lot more. Less glassy-eyed looks when we talk about security, right? They're actually they're actually very curious, and they're saying things like, uh, "Please tell me more," right? Please yeah. Tell me. Is it moving from glassy-eyed looks into the look of terror when they begin to? <laughs> it, it's <laughs> concern for sure. Mm. It's not panic yet. But,
0: yeah, but, yeah. I mean, um, I speak in jest, but I guess it's a serious point, isn't it? That sort of cost of failure and the gradual realization in the end markets, I guess, start to value it. And so from a Silicon Labs point of view, how does that play for you then? I sort of ask in a deliberately simplified way, I guess, to how do you set the bar or differentiate in the way that you take security to your
1: OEM well, I, I think, customers? I think that the biggest change, when when I talk to customers, I talk about the last 10, 15 years in this space. It's been about securing the pipe between the different devices You want to make sure that's secure and people weren't really worried about the end nodes. And I think the big shift over the last two years or so is that now end nodes are in scope, either from remote attacks or you've got the device in your hands. So that's the big change. And so from our perspective, that's what we've worked on, right? If you look back in our product lines and even other semiconductor product lines, uh, BLE and Zigbee and so forth, it was really about embed TLS or t- some kind of a TLS to secure the connection between endpoints. But you, were, you weren't worrying too much about the s- keys in the device because you were basically saying, okay, well, most people are going to be trying to do this remotely mm. and they're not very sophisticated, but we're starting to see a, you know, attacks on the end devices themselves trying to put malware in the end devices, either remotely or, like I said, intercepting it in the supply chain. So, from a semiconductor perspective, now you have to worry about more things. It's not just about cryptography; it's about um, you know maybe having a security subsystem mm-hmm. where you've got assets that you're actually protecting in the silicon. You know, there's been secure elements for quite some time, but it only addresses you know securing the keys and the crypto. But you still have to pull the keys out of the safe to mm-hmm. use them, and so you still have to have a secure micro. And so that's really kind of the shift. That's happened in the last two or three years. And from our perspective, that's what we focused on is actually creating a secure micro, not just the communication between the micros, but actually securing assets in the micro itself. Okay. Presumably that links to the root of trust. Is that conceptually the way
0: that you look at that secure micro is a root of trust that is then used to secure various applications or connectivity stacks is is that the way that you would approach it from your own
1: yeah if you think about okay i'm gonna have to secure the device itself right so Mm. how do you do that well the first thing you have to do is make sure that the the brains of the device which is typically the microcontroller or the microprocessor that has to be secure and so how do you secure that how do you secure the brains of the device so that when it boots and when it comes alive you can trust that the code that's running in that brain is secure, right? So this is where secure boot comes in. So secure boot is one of the main things that you have to to do to create a secure device is you have to boot securely. In other words, the first piece of code that runs needs to be immutable. Immutable typically means uh, ROM, uh, which is uh, hard gates. So it's basically software and gates um, baked into silicon. So... So if you can get that running securely, that's probably the most secure thing you can do. And then you can do multi-stage boots where you go, okay, the ROM is very tiny. It's uh, very constricted. It's very uh, impervious to any kind of glitch attacks. And then that basically does a signature check on maybe a first-stage bootloader. Hmm. It's running in a security subsystem. It does a public key uh, cryptography, which is much safer than having a secret key running around in there for that boot. And then the first stage checks the second stage, and the second stage checks the application. And now you're up and running with an application set of application code that you can trust. And so that hardware root of trust, and usually when people say hardware root of trust, they're thinking about a ROM boot, right? So secure boot based on ROM, multi-staged, so it's very hard to break, pretty much impervious, right, against attacks.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And do your customers that are using your silicon and the end markets that they're going into, do they have an appreciation for that? Or, you know, it's, is that something that you're taking to them or they have an appreciation for that process and, and how that route of trust perhaps affects, you know, their the way they deploy devices at
1: scale? Customers are starting to ask for secure boot. I'm not sure they all understand mm. what that means, but they know the term and they know the concept. Mm. right? I need to be able to trust my device. Because my device, the first thing that boots in my system is going to have to check other things, right? Because... Kind just because isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're starting to ask for secure boot. I think if you ask a lot of people what a hardware root of trust was, you ask 10 people, they might give you five or six different answers. Yeah. But secure boot is something they're starting to ask about. I would say, you know, debug protection, because I think most people understand that if the debug port is open, then, you know, that's a problem. Now they probably stop at, okay, you lock the debug port, great. But the problem with debug ports is that they can be glitched open. So, you know, there's nuances beyond what I think the customers are asking for today, but secure Mm boom is certainly one of them. Secure debug, or at least the debug port that's locked is another common uh, ask. Yeah.
0: Looking at the way things operate in PSA certified, we have level two where it's the protection profile that covers against scalable software attacks. And at level three it builds out in what we broadly describe as as hardware level attacks from what you're describing mike there isn't psa certified level three you're able to withstand being tampered i guess which is what we were talking about glitching or side channel attack i think this is probably the right point to kind of take a pause and congratulate you because we've got some breaking news. Silicon Labs is the first partner to achieve PSA certified level three. So that's a world first. Congratulations. We're really excited about that. Maybe it would be good for you to to sort of explain why that's important to you and, and what it means to Silicon Labs.
1: Well no, thanks, David. You know, level two is, is really important. It's probably the most prevalent attack vector, the remote attacks. But what we're seeing is a lot more interest in physical attacks and primarily because Customers are concerned about their IP being stolen. They're also very concerned about cloning the devices. So one of the best ways to prevent cloning a device is being able to do some kind of a after the device, either while it's being manufactured or actually after it's been deployed and even up to 10, 15 years after it's been deployed. If you have a secret identity in the device, you can do an attestation uh, securely with a uh, certificate chains and that identity, you know, secret key. But that means you have to have a secret key in the device and that secret key must be maintained confidential over time. Hmm. And so this is where you've got some physical attacks today that are actually very cheap to do. There's companies on the web that you can basically go to. You can go to Mauser and buy some side channel attack equipment. You can buy some glitch mitigation equipment that's in the $3,000 range. And so PSA certified level three is very important because it actually, you know, puts your device in the lab and has it tested for those type of typical physical attacks uh, and make sure that your, your silicon can be protected against that.
0: Actually, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. In terms of the, I guess the increasing accessibility of the techniques, in order to to provide the the hardware level attacks, I guess that's sort of front and center why why a level three certification makes makes sense to your to your customers.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the past, it's always been. You know, pretty expensive equipment, uh, a PhD, yeah. and a lot of mm. time. And now that's not necessarily the case, right? Uh, the yeah. time's still there, but you don't have to have a PhD. In fact, mm. much. you set up the equipment, you, you you let it run, and boom, it pops out the key. You know, so it's, yeah. uh, it's pretty sophisticated stuff nowadays that you can get for very cheap. Yeah. So I think um, you know, remote attacks still the primary attack vector, but physical attacks, local attacks, are starting to become. It's like all criminals, right? They look for the easy path. There's a lot of good protection from the cloud now. So they started attacking, doing remote attacks on the end nodes themselves. And now that's starting to be protected against with the secure boot processes. And now you're starting to look for weaker places like, okay, well, I have a secret key, but I'm not really storing that secret key very well. And now physical attacks become the next thing they look at, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're kind of
0: just pushing it along to the sort of the next soft target, I guess, in that process. And that's what...
1: Yeah, unfortunately, what I think that's the game we're in, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to end, right? The, the sophistication of the attacks just grow over time. And we, on the silicon side, have to be ahead of the game because it takes three years to bake it in. So we've got to look even beyond our customers' requirements because essentially once our customers say they want it, we already have to have the silicon done which is three years before they need it right yeah that's a really interesting point this sort of
0: hysteresis in the in the loop when you conceptually put together a new product the delta between that and then shipping at volume into the market that's how you describe the three years i guess you know the time it takes to develop the system on a chip and to get back the silicon test it's working okay go through qualification move into a mass
1: production there's a quite a long Quite a long time, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, and that's, so my, wor- my world is looking five years out, right? I've- yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and I think that's something we've had some interesting discussions in the past in, in various different formats around this perception. When you talk about cybersecurity, you know, sort of at the high level in the media or whatever, there's a perception that you can deploy a patch and it's fixed. And, okay, to a certain extent, that's true with certain technologies, but this Understanding that technology is, you know, we say it often, actually, you know, it's built in from the ground up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really the silicon vendors that are at the base of that, isn't it? You know, you're the ones making that early investment. I guess you're the ones making that quite considerable investment, actually, in order to make sure that these devices are secure and meeting the needs of OEMs further
1: down the line. Exactly. and And so... Again, I have to look out five years. I have to know what the customer wants before they know they want it, right? Yes. And I've got to, I've got to be reading articles all the time and I'm trying to stay mm-hmm. ahead of where the, you know, where the game is moving. But you're right, there, there are certain things you can patch. Like if you've got a protocol vulnerability, like in the BLE protocol, there might be a particular vulnerability that gets noticed by somebody and, there's, and you can mm-hmm. probably fix that, right, with software but protecting a key is different right mm-hmm. because protecting a key is not something you can fix with software necessarily because they're basically attacking the silicon itself yeah and so that no amount of patching is going to fix that or hide it right mm. so there's certain things that you can now we in silicon labs we believe in an updatable security subsystem right so we're very heavily invested in a subsystem that has its own firmware and has its own sign firmware. and it's part of the boot process. but but essentially the reason we have that philosophy is that over time, even a security subsystem that we think we've made perfect, nothing's perfect. And so you, and and quite frankly, there may be new curves that need to be added to the subsystem. There may be security methods might get broken over time, right the whole mm quantum computing thing is on the horizon and and so we believe that we need to be able to update our security subsystem over the air and mm. not just the application code but the security subsystem itself mm. so that that's an important thing you've got to build in these checks and balances but you got to start with really good silicon and you've got to start with it out of the gate as best you can and of course you got to balance cost right cost is. Is always key in these low-end devices. And so you got to make those trade-offs as you do the design. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll come on to cost in just a second, actually. I wanted to
0: uh, sort of pick your brains a little bit on that. But um, I was just thinking in terms of the deployment models, and it'd be interesting to get your views on it actually, that you know, we often talk about IoT deployment models being, you know, generally devices are in the field for a long time by technology standards. So, you know, maybe 5, 10, 15 years even, depending on some of the use cases. You know, these sort of deeply embedded sensors that are feeding into, I don't know, some of the use cases perhaps that you've described where there's a lower churn of replacement. A kind of slight leading question, because I, I think I know the answer I'd like. But <laughs> it's, um, it's just kind of looking at the, I guess, the confidence to deploy devices that are in the field for so long. So you talk about the ability to update them. You talk about, you know, the need to bake in that security from the outset. Do you see that hand in hand? Do you have evidence that solving this is part of building the confidence for IoT to really achieve the scale that we keep talking about as, as an industry?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's paramount for a couple of reasons. I mean, it just makes engineering sense, right? Mm. If, you, if the premise is that the crooks will always find a way, right? mm. They'll always find a hole, then a good engineer would always build in a mechanism to update. Now, that's easier said than done. We spend a lot of time on a bootloader. We we have a gecko bootloader that we've done a a really good job in being able to um, send encrypted update packets. And we can encrypt and send updates to our security subsystem and the application space and and all of that. You do have to make room for it, right? So it's not like, you know, that doesn't come with a cost, right? Being able to update a device over the air You've got to basically have twice the flash because you've got to store images, right? Mm. You've got to inbound the images and and store the images. And and you can do that with the external flash. So there are cheap ways of doing it or cheaper ways of doing it. Mm. But you've got to engineer it, right? You've got to engineer that capability. This is something that's coming through all the regulations. They're basically acknowledging that fact, right, that security yeah. needs to be updated over time. Yeah. And what is going to be required of all our our customers over time, and pretty much anybody who sells anything on the market today is going to have to give a security warranty, just like you would a warranty mm-hmm. on the device itself, right? You're going to have to state a security warranty for the device. For consumer, that's probably two to three years, no big deal. Well, it's a big deal. You still have to update it, but it's but yeah. for. Uh, control systems and building control systems things like that those things stay in the field for 10, 15, 20 years mm. and that's a problem right I mean how do you how do you maintain something for that long? sure so one of the things I'm tackling right now is basically our update policy on our software is pretty short term because people were okay with that but once you start doing uh, security certifications because the requirements are going to require you certify, that you are, meet the requirements, right? There's going to be laws that basically require certifications, mm. and now you have to do this warranty. So on my side, I have to worry about my SDK being maintained at a bare minimal. In other words, just security changes and maybe bug fixes, uh, critical mm. bug fixes over a 10-year period, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to tackle that as a service right now. How do I offer to my customers a long-term support service? Mm. Because just telling them they can update their code is not good enough for me, right? Then they're like, okay, well, you need to maintain that code for that long, right? So there's some obligations on my side that I have to take care of. So, but incredibly important, right? Absolutely. I
0: guess to build on that question of cost, PSA Certified did survey back end of 2020 of around 600 industry players and, you know, we kind of asked a broad range of questions. It's PSA certified security report. One of the feedbacks that came back from that, which is quite interesting, is that a lot of folks in the industry still are concerned about cost being a big barrier to security. You spoke about, you know, needing more, more flash memory area to be able to do software updates. We spoke about baking in security and, you know, sort of in a kind of conceptually hardware route of trust. You know, as a silicon vendor, what's your views on that? You know, are you seeing that cost being a barrier for what I guess what you can do from a chip perspective?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's multi areas of expense, right? So the silicon itself, I would say at ninety nanometers, security, a really good security system was, I guess, relatively expensive from a die perspective, die size. But down to 40 nanometer, I think it's reasonably priced. Uh, in our world, it's less than the dye area. It's certainly way less than the radio, right? The analog side of it. So it's digital. So mm-hmm. it's it shrinks mm-hmm. typically with the geometry. So I think security is quite the bargain today. You, the things you can do with uh, our chips today and the size of it and the cost of it, I think is you'd be surprised. Yeah. Now, I think security costs. There are other costs. Like I said, if you're gonna do over the updates, now I gotta add a 30 cent external spy flash. I've got to maybe pay me for a long-term support contract for the SDK. Mm. Um, I've got to have an over-the-update service, period. Where do I get that? Right. This is this is like device management services, right? Mm. Uh that you would have to pay for. There's certainly a lot of cost in that. I Mm. think. The benefit now is insurance, but it's like any other insurance you take out. You don't like it, but you pay it because essentially the the ramifications if you don't are are huge, much mm. larger than the the investment you're gonna have to put in. I think it's like any other technology that moves over time. You know, technology typically will go down in cost as things get developed, services become cheaper over time, you know, but it, it is a is a little bit of a a rat race, and that you're always trying to stay ahead of this. But, you know, technology gets more complicated over time as well, right? It does. I mean, yeah, I mean you think about the phone, right? <laughs> the phones we have in our pockets today. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think back of, you know, computers I had. They're, they're not anywhere close to that. But it's it's amazing what you can get. Um, and, and that'll be the same with security. To me, people get scared about security, but quite frankly, it's just another technology, right? It it's is. just another... Yeah it's just another technology with ins and outs and, you know, things you weigh and and things you have to do. And, you know, it's part of the technology game. It's just a new part, right? And people are a little unfamiliar with it. Right. And I guess it's a, you know, the most simple
0: level, it's, it's an opportunity cost. It's a means to an end. And ultimately we believe that
1: the markets it will serve will more than provide a return on that investment. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, It's got to work out financially. and, And I think, and, you know, quite frankly, sometimes I, I, I've built radio modules, right, and we've priced them mm. out, and, and, and the price of my chip is way less than the price of the, the gold-plated connector for the I know,
0: I know, <laughs> so... yeah, well, I know. Yeah, no, interesting. Actually, interestingly, the, the previous podcast was with Juan from uh, Flex, so, you know, obviously a huge ODM, you know, great, mm-hmm. huge manufacturing capacity. And, and I asked him the same question, and he referred me to the cost of the power supply in these IoT products you know, well, actually, you know, we put a lot of money into the power supply. And security is not the only part of the system that is effectively a, I guess, a sunk cost that provides a return. You know, it's not a traditional feature that you monetize in a traditional way, but it's a necessary, as you say, it's a necessary cost that allows you to scale and to provide ultimately
1: those end markets to flourish. So, yeah. I think the, the, yeah. the rare minerals that are in electronics are probably a bigger word. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I, I appreciate your thoughts on certification actually as well. I know that you're very active in that domain and, um, you know, it'd it'd be good to, to understand your thoughts around state of the nation, I guess, you know, don't be shy. You know, I know that uh, we're heavily biased with PSA certified, but I'd like to understand your thoughts on
1: security certification and uh, what you need to over. (laughs) Certification I'm really passionate about, right. Because Mm. I I cut my teeth in the point of sale market from an IOT perspective, the point of sale market is way ahead on the security front and certifications, Mm. right. So there's the PCI payment card industry did a, good job of protecting consumer data at the terminal. So if you think about a payment terminal that you slide your card into at a retailer, right, that is an IoT device. It basically goes up to the cloud and does a transaction and pushes that back down. It's a very sophisticated IoT device with very sophisticated back end. And PCI has very good controls and certification processes for the terminal itself, you know, just uh, physical hacking of the terminal, double tamper protection, all this stuff, and all the way back up into the cloud services, right? So it's not trivial to offer payment services. And mm. and the truth is, there's, there's really Ingenico and Verifone in the U.S. and Europe, and China's a little bit more open market, so there's a lot more terminals in China, but pretty much dominated by two big players. And you can ask yourself, why is that? And I created a, uh, as a solution provider at NXP, I created a a pen pad, which is like the simplest thing. And I took that through certification Mm. and it was incredibly hard to do that. And it took me probably a year and a half to get my certification by the time Mm. I started and got it done. And and probably a good seven, eight months, maybe a year, it was the certification process in, in general, because I had to get in line, had to get in the lab, then there's a lot of churn in the lab and redoing things and so forth. But um, but that certification process is not going to scale for IoT. Mm. And so we've got to be innovative on how we do this. So mm. a couple of things. One is inheritance. I think if I spend as a silicon provider, I've got a lot of responsibility. I've got a lot of widgets and and knobs in my silicon that I can turn and certify That will give you the secure boot and the secure key storage and and the cryptography and and a lot of basics that you're going to need at the device level. And I'm okay with spending some budget every year to make sure that my silicon is certified. But what needs to happen in the market is that, unlike PCI, like I did that in PCI, I did that certification, but my customers could not reuse that. They could not inherit it. Mm. Um, And that's got to be different in IoT. We've got to allow inheritance. So if I do a PSA level two or three, any customer that uses that chip should be able to inherit that goodness, that certification should come with it, right? Mm. And they shouldn't have to do it again. They shouldn't have to do another certification of the secure boot or the key storage or the cryptography. It should just be inherited. Now, if they add some application stuff on top of it, okay, well, that's fair game, right? And so there are protocols that are talking about, uh, like CHIP is talking about, security features and certifications at that level, but that's just a protocol-level security. But they should be able to inherit my silicon goodness uh, and certifications in the CHIP certification or the Zigbee certification or whatever the protocol is. So you do that certification, and now somebody's going to make a device, a Zigbee device or a CHIP device, and now... They inherit both the chip certification security checks and certs, and then now they inherit all my silicon certs. And all they have to worry about at that point is paying for the certification of the complete device to meet either NIST or ISO or Etsy or whatever sure. NISA regulations, right? Mm. But that whole idea of inheritance has got to be there. The other thing I think we have to do is I think we need to entertain some novel things like maybe crowdsourcing the certification because I don't think there's enough bodies and certification labs, security certification labs in the whole world, and I don't care how much they tried to scale. They mm-hmm. could not scale fast enough to really take care of all the IoT devices that once these regulations hit and become law, yeah, the amount of devices will just – swamp and choke the industry right if we don't Mm. figure out some way of doing crowdsourcing so crowdsourcing basically is just okay i'll self-certify but i kind of put a target on my back and i agree to pay a bounty if somebody can show that i didn't certify properly it's Mm. not it's kind of like a bug bounty but it's a certification bounty
0: yeah yeah it's really interesting i guess you're talking about at the is, is that at the oem level that you see that massive
1: scaling Yeah, right. Exactly. Because if you think about every SKU, right? Like if you think about the PCI, if you change two lines of code in the firmware, you've got to recertify or at least do Mm. the certification, Mm. right? Very painful, right? So think about a company who's, I don't know, they're, you know, one particular line of products, they may have 20 SKUs and there's slight variations, slight different firmware. So you've got to, you know, have a flexible system that does what it needs to do, which is basically check and make sure that the products are, are being secure, designed securely. Mm. All this inheritance flows up. The applications get checked, but you need a turnaround time of, you know, three months, right? Not, yeah. not a year, not a year. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not even three months. It needs, you know, if you're doing especially if you've got a regulation that comes out and then everything has to be certified within, you know, yeah. three months or you can't sell it, mm. man, that that's going to create a huge problem, right? Yeah, yeah. And it does solve
0: the the kind of the issue that, you know, a lot of these OEMs that are consuming reference designs and technologies from companies such as yours, they don't have divisions of security experts that can do very complex, you know, long-winded security certification. So as well as solving the scaling problem, it sounds like it also solves the problem in terms of how that knowledge of security is disseminated across the industry. So it means that the OEMs can benefit from the goodness of what companies like Silicon Labs have done. They can, a- inherit, they can inherit certifications, which is really valuable. And then it's a smaller but still valuable step to the end
1: market. By yeah, and then, and then yeah. they worry about security for what they know, right? Which exactly. It's really the application space. Right? Yeah. They, yeah. they They know their application space, and they should be responsible for the security of that application space right everything else underneath they should just you know like you said all the smart people on those systems should do the certifications and pass that up to them
0: yeah no that makes a lot of sense That's really interesting that's a different way of looking at it i like i like that a lot that's good i was going to ask you so in, in every podcast we do we always ask so it's called beyond the now and the reason for that is that you're sat three to five years ahead i guess in terms of the market so it's kind of for you to paint the picture of what you think the future looks like in three to five years' time, or and I guess elaborating on that as well, the, the main piece of advice that you'd give the listeners, you know, that are looking to deploy security in their products.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to give you my optimistic view, right? You yes. could you could take you could take, you could yes. take the spectrum of you we know, need some very optimism. bad or very yeah. good, but yeah. yeah. All right, so the requirements have got to consolidate, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's too many. There's NIST 8259A hmm. and D and D now, and there's ISO, which is kind of off doing their own thing. And then you've got Etsy in Europe, which is gaining traction. And then NISA hasn't picked anything yet. So the base bar of requirements has got to consolidate, and I hope it will. I'm ho- actually hoping ISO might be the one that actually consolidates that because ISO is a world recognized hmm. uh, standards body. NIST is a little bit niche for the U.S. Well, it's U.S. only, quite frankly. And Etsy is very much European. ISO is across both, right? So I think it has the opportunity to consolidate. So let's assume five years from now, we all have a simple low bar for all IoT devices. Mm. So that's what I hope to see happen in five years. The other thing which we haven't talked about is the need for protection profiles. And this is a concept... Mm. You know, there's laws, which are basically very vague, and then, and then standards bodies will create requirements like Etsy and NIST and ISO. And then there's the certification standards, which basically standardize how to test things. Mm. But what's missing in all of that is uh, the standard certification stuff doesn't really specify what is in scope to test. Mm-hmm. And that's where a protection profile comes in or a security profile. There's a lot of names for it, but in the common criteria world, it's called a protection profile sure. and really protection profiles. You can think about them is the right amount of security for that type of device. Mm. And this is where I think the world really needs to work on this. All the vendors who make a particular type of device, let's say consumer cameras, right? Consumer cameras, What would be ideal five years from now is that the top five consumer camera manufacturers in the world sat in a room and created a base protection profile for consumer cameras. Same thing for industrial cameras, same thing for government cameras, right? To mean, basically, there's a right amount of security for different kinds of devices. Now, these different organizations are off creating a bar that all IoT devices must jump over, and that's fine as long as you make that bar low enough for even the simplest of devices right um the mm. like contact switch or maybe even a leak detector of a hot water heater those probably don't need as much protection as the security camera in your house or the set-top box or the thermostat right so there's this idea of protection profiles which i think the industry really needs to get to so in my view five years from now i'm hoping to see that that happens that that mm. The device manufacturers decide, like what happened with DTSEC, like the continuous glucose monitor vendors got in a room and they basically said, We need a protection profile for these uh, connected diabetes devices. Mm. And they created one and, and they did that on their own, right? Nobody drove them to do that. But that's, that's something the industry has got to do because if we don't do that, let's just say all those five Camber guys came up with their own protection profile. That basically means that I have five different security levels I'm chasing with my silicon and every device manufacturer is going to be different and it makes it yeah, creates havoc nice. right it's just more too much variation that's not yeah. needed yeah so that's my view of the future I hope the requirements consolidate I hope the protection profiles are there I hope this inheritance thing comes up I hope that we have this ability to scale massively the certification process I mean that would be and we have this ability to update over the air and we've got update services in place, and you can trust devices that attach to these ecosystems. In the ideal world, the consumer would go to the store, they'd see some logo, some security logo, and, it, and they would know mm-hmm. it's a safe, secure device, and it's got the right amount of security for that type of device, and they're not overpaying, right? They're yeah. They're paying for the right amount of security. That's the future I envision. Yeah.
0: That's a really great vision, actually. And I'm, I'm glad you went the optimistic route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk again at some point and go the pessimistic route. And, you know, the point which we touched on earlier on about the scaling, you know, we have to remember that all these devices are being deployed for a reason. They're delivering business benefit or consumer benefit or, you know, you talk about medical healthcare, you know, so many, the value they deliver is the potential so high that, you know, you've got to believe that that industry collaboration is the only way to, uh, to address that scale. So no, that's that's really great, Mike. I'd like to thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking. I think we've covered a huge amount. Actually, it's I really enjoyed it. I mean, congratulations again. I think hopefully you and the team are, are really proud. Yeah, you know, I look forward to uh, to seeing where these products go. The OEMs that uh, that are taking the level three certified silicon as well and benefiting from all of the extra work that you've put in. So yeah, thank you very much and congratulations.
1: Yeah, thanks, David. It's a good time good Yeah, it's always good to you know stretch your brain and talk definitely definitely um so yeah thank you and and thank you to
0: silicon labs as well and and of course thank you to the listeners please share your thoughts on social media and make sure you tag us at psa certified or you can visit psacertified.org for more information if you'd like to learn about the psa certified 2021 security report that, that i mentioned whilst chatting to mike then you can download a free copy of that at report.psacertified.org and as always love to hear your thoughts and opinions i think we've covered some really great topics today on securing the future of iot thanks again mike and i look forward to uh, to our listeners joining us again in the next episode of beyond the mail
1: thank you